At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome on the birds. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Thelen and Nick Stevens. And we've got some big stories to get into tonight, including the demotion of Grayson Rodriguez to AAA Norfolk. After a rough start against the Texas Rangers over the weekend and after a very inconsistent run in the major leagues over the last two months, we'll also talk about Cedric Mullins coming out on Monday's game with an injury and what that could mean going forward, even though we still don't know the full ramifications of that as we record here on Monday evening. But first, we're going to start off the show like we like to start off our episodes by welcoming new members of our Patreon community. I'm going to turn that over to Bob, who has a couple of new patrons to welcome. Yeah, a couple guys who decided to take advantage of a new feature that Patreon has rolled out, which is a seven-day free trial. So hopefully you enjoy what you've seen so far. Jack Wisniewski, Wiz, Wisniewski. Um, I, I try to get these right, and Thomas Carroll. Um, welcome aboard. Hopefully you like it and you stick around, and uh, we see your name pop up more and more. Absolutely. So we'll go now to... What has been the big story in Birdland over the last few days, which is the demotion of Grayson Rodriguez down to AAA Norfolk. This move came after Rodriguez was shelled by the Rangers on Friday night, giving up nine runs, eight of them earned, and three and a third innings pitched in a loss that ultimately saw the Orioles drop that contest 12-2. Rodriguez did strike out six batters in that game, but also walked three and surrendered a trio of home runs. Rodriguez had 10 starts in the major leagues before the demotion, posted a 7-3-5 ERA with 56 strikeouts and 45 in the third innings pitched against 21 walks. At various points, Rodriguez showed elite stuff, and we saw that in several of his starts, including one outing recently against Toronto. However, these results made the Orioles decide to send Rodriguez back to Norfolk in hopes that he can settle into a more productive, more consistent stretch, get his confidence back up. So, Nick, I'm going to start with you here. First off, were you surprised by this move at all, and what do you think this means for his development? Uh, I was a little surprised, to be completely honest, at first. But then this is why I, I like that we don't immediately jump on and give give the hot takes. We get to think about it for a minute. And I just think, first and foremost, like he's still Grayson Rodriguez. Like He is the same guy who we watched dominate through the minor leagues the last couple of years. And my opinion about his future outlook has not changed. And I think most sensible fans out there express that same opinion over the last couple of days um, because I, I've seen some awful, awful uh, takes. We'll, we'll just leave it at that. But um, it is frustrating because this team is playing so well and we've been waiting to see Grayson in the big leagues since – early last year before that injury happened and we all knew he was just a starter two away from reaching the big leagues and when you look down the road at like a playoff race this year and potentially a deep playoff run 
the, I think the bigger one of the bigger concerns with this roster is the pitching staff. And now to see our top pitching prospect go back down to AAA because this past month has been especially brutally rough for him. I'm I'm fine with the decision right now to send him back to Norfolk. Just work through those issues. Like this team just came out of a stretch of games where they took down New York in New York, two out of three against the Yankees, in which Garrett Cole and Nestor Cortez pitched. You still won two out of three in that series. You swept the Jays. Like you've got to put this team in the best position to win every single night. And just right now, Grayson wasn't doing that. And you know, so it's I, I think we know he's got the stuff. You, you touched on that. He's got the fastball. He can hum it in there at 99 miles an hour, but everybody can hit 99. So you've got to hit your spots. The changeup is a weapon. We saw that. The strikeouts were there. He's striking out more than 11 per nine guys still. The whiffs were there, but maybe just taking him out of that big league situation, take him away for a little bit, send him back down with Justin Ramsey. We know he's got a great relationship with Justin Ramsey. They've worked their way all the way up through this system together. Let him have a stretch of dominant stars against AAA competition to regain the confidence, smooth out the kinks, and, you know, come back with a clear head. Yeah, I actually think Connor Newcomb of Lockton Orioles had an episode a couple days ago, and he now nailed it on the head. I thought he had a great take on that, um, where it seemed like Grayson, he would just, if he couldn't find the command of a, an off-speed pitch, the next pitch was going to be fastball no matter what, just to try to out of frustration, get a strike. And like Connor said, no matter what, you know, maybe in AAA you can get away with that in the big leagues. If they're sitting dead red fastball and they get it, they're probably not going to miss more times than not. He's given up, what, 13 home runs in his uh, short major league time. Maybe there was a reason he was starting in the minor leagues. Maybe because they they kind of knew that this was an issue, but the stuff was so good, uh, stuff was so good that they hoped he would figure it out on the fly at the major league level. And yeah, you saw Taj Bradley come up for the Rays, have some flashes of brilliance and then get sent back down to work on something. He's back up. This is not the end of the world. And wasn't uh, Kyle Bradish who said when he went back down to AAA, it was like, oh geez, this is not the same game. And that's when he really, really realized like how different the major leagues was and how far he had come along since getting there. So I'm sure Grayson, the stuff, it was still good, even though he was getting hit around. You can see the stuff. It's just about command, pitch selection, consistency, and he'll find it, and he'll be back, and he'll be a, a weapon for us in the future. Just bad timing, especially with Mullins going down today, too. Yeah, I agree with you both, and I want to touch on some comments from Brandon Hyde, who talked specifically about Rodriguez's fastball command. These quotes have been making the rounds uh, of the Orioles media over the last few days, but I'm quoting from Hayes Gardner over the Baltimore Sun. And Hyde, talking about Grayson Rodriguez, said, Grayson's got huge stuff and throws really hard and flashes good secondary, but it's tough to pitch in this league if you don't have really good fastball command as a starter. He went on to say, you got to be able to work both sides of the plate. you got to be able to put a guy away with two strikes. you got to be able to go deep in the game. Those are all things that all starting pitchers have to do, and the good ones do it consistently for a long time and get paid a lot of money because of it. He's going to be that type of guy just right now. We feel like the thing for him to do is to go work on those things and come back up here and be ready to help. Everything that everything you see in the data backs up exactly what Brandon Hyde said. The fastball velocity has been excellent this year, but Rodriguez ranked in the second percentile in hard hit rate over at Baseball Savant. And for those who look at Baseball Savant's page, try to figure out what it means. If you see blue, under a statistic, that's a bad sign. And Rodriguez pulling up some blues under a hard hit rate, average relax, average exit velocity, expected batting average, expected slugging percentage, and barrel percentage. All of those numbers are pretty bad for him. Hitters were really teeing off the fastball. And Bob, I agree with you. I think the part of the problem was that he couldn't find a consistent rhythm with his secondaries. And hitters know that if he's not getting the results he wants from the change up for his curveball, he's going to come back with the fastball. And I think as much as this is about being able to get it in the strike zone, it's also about not putting it in the spot in the strike zone where hitters are going to punish your mistakes. That's going to happen a lot more in the major leagues than it happens at AAA. So that's something he's really going to have to work on is putting the fastball in a spot where he's going to get the strikes, he's going to get the lifts that he needs, but hitters aren't going to be able to punish it, and then he's going to be able to come back with that secondary and get the put-away pitch that he has struggled to find over the first two months in the major leagues. 
Yeah, and Vivek has a good point here. We've seen this with Kramer and Bradish before. You can bounce back. You maybe just given a chance to breathe and not worry about, oh my God, if I have another bad start, what's this going to mean for me? I mean, I don't know how it's affecting Grayson particularly uh, mentally, but I mean, that's has to be, at least for me, I'd be like freaking out like, oh man, I'm, I got to be close to a demotion or I, I'm supposed to be the best pitching prospect, you know, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, like we saw with Kramer, he was terrible in 2021, came back 2022, whole new pitcher, Bradish. We saw the Phantom. We think it's a Phantom. There's no confirmation of that injury last year after what, about 10 starts, which is what Grayson had. Uh, terrible before that, great after that. So maybe just a mental reset will help. And when he comes back up, he'll feel like he's starting from zero and doesn't have to worry about what's happened in the past. He can worry about what's what's right in front of him. I was trying to go back and look at that last start. I can't remember if it was the first or second home run he gave up. And I think it was, what, 98, 99, right down the center. And as soon as it, it let the ball left his hand, I'm sitting there watching this game. I'm like, ah, saying words that I'm not going to say on the podcast to keep it clean. You just knew. And like, if I can sit there on my couch eating ice cream, uh, watch like knowing that ball is gone as soon as it leaves his hand, uh, you know, these major league hitters are, you know, exactly what they're seeing against them. And you talk about Kyle Bradish. Like I actually pulled up the numbers because I did want to bring that exact example here. Cause you know, it's easy to talk like, you know, Corbin Burns sucked before he became, you know, this Cy Young worthy pitcher and all this stuff and all these other examples, Vivek throwing Mitch Keller there in the chat as well. Like those are all great examples. Um, these other guys, pitchers struggling, sometimes taking two, three, four years before they figure it out. But have the Orioles been able to do that? And for me, like the Orioles just did it with Kyle Bradish, like Bob talked about. And you look at the numbers, Bradish had an ERA over eight last May and then seven and a half in June. 10 home runs allowed over those two months. Hitters were hitting like 350 plus, higher than 350 against him between those two months. He comes back after the All-Star break, makes 13 starts, uh, 3.28 ERA, a 2.12 average against, only six home runs in 71 innings compared to 11 home runs in 46 innings before the All-Star break. So, like, And now look what he's doing this year. He's, he's really, really good this year. Um, I, I just think if I see the Orioles do that with their own top pitching prospect you know, Bradish was what number three pitching prospect in the system. If the Orioles can do that with Bradish Grayson's stuff, I love Bradish. I, I have loved him from the start. I think he's going to be a mainstay in this rotation for the next couple of years. If they can do that with Bradish, I have a lot of confidence that they can do that with Rodriguez because the stuff is better. Um, you talk about his mentality. We don't know exactly what it is right now, but we do know what he's like on the mound. We all see that how visibly animated he gets out there in the mound. I don't think anyone else on this planet wants it more than he does at this point. And I, I think he's going to show us all when he gets back down to Norfolk. You know, it's, I have a lot of confidence in Grace Rodriguez still. Yeah, me too. And it's funny that Vivek flashes this on the comments. Kyle Bradish first 10 starts, 7.38 ERA. Grayson Rodriguez mm -hmm. just finished his 10th start in the Major League, 7.35 ERA. So pretty good parallel there. Yeah, and let's not forget that Bradis had, I think it was a one really dominant start against a good St. Louis lineup in that first mm -hmm. run in the Major League. So we did see some flashes of brilliance from him, just like we saw with Rodriguez, and it came against good lineups. But the overall results just weren't there. And I think the other problem you have from the Orioles' standpoint right now is that we know that pitchers not being able to get at least into the fifth inning is the one thing that I think can undo this team. Because if you start to have that problem consistently, that's going to have a ripple effect into the bullpen, and you're not going to be able to hold on to these close leads late in the game. And Rodriguez does not help you out there right now with the way he's pitching. So you want to be able to get him to the point where you feel like, all right, can you count on in a typical game, Rodriguez going out, being able to give you – five or six innings of three-run baseball with a lot of strikeouts. Right now, you can't count on that consistently. I don't need Rodriguez to come back and be an ace right away. But what I do, what I want to see from him is just that ability that he gets the ball every fifth day and you don't have someone warming up in the bullpen in the third inning because he's just hit a wall and pitchers are teeing off a fastball. Yeah, and I wonder if, he, if he's even sent down if it wasn't for the competitiveness of the team who's fighting for a division right now, early on um, 15 games over 500 or 14 now after today. 
I mean, he, they might have given him a chance to work through it at the major league level. And it's not like he's not striking guys, guys out. Like Nick said, he's striking out like 11 and a half batters per game. So, yeah, I think it's just a matter of time. Let's just relax a little bit. I know it's brand new to have these kinds of expectations, to be this good, to have a record like this this early in the season after the past few years before last year. But this happens. Good teams have struggles. They have losing streaks. It's a long season. Yeah, it's it just also stinks when it all is like hitting us at one time here. Um, and, and like I said, it's just the fact that this pitching staff, I feel like, is very fragile. It's very vulnerable because, uh, you know, who is Dean Kramer? Like, we still don't know. We're still asking this question. We see him have a great start, and then we see him struggle. And then it's some okay starts. You know, he hasn't he isn't fully all the way there yet, one way or the other. Uh, even Kyle Bradish, you know, I, it's not like he's this grizzled veteran yet. He's still a second-year player. Uh, you know, Gibson is pitching well, but you wonder, all right, can he keep this up all year long? And then when someone does falter, it's not like, you know, we're going to talk about the outfield here in a little bit because that's going to be changing. But it's not like the outfield situation where if there's an injury, now that there is, there are, you know, there are outs that this team can go to. There are other options this team has. If something happens in the infield, there are other options. If something happens to the pitching staff, there aren't a lot of options right now. Um, you know, we're seeing Austin both come in on what Wednesday to to make the start because there really are no other options right now. Spencer Watkins not built back up yet. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman has been solid, but you know, what are you going to get out of Bruce Zimmerman in the major leagues? Like there's it's, it's it is frustrating. But yeah, I've got all the hope, the belief in the world in Grayson Rodriguez when he returns. Give him a couple of weeks. He'll be all right. And Cole Irvin was just sent down. I think it would be 10 days. So he'd have to wait probably till whatever the next start would be that Voth is taking Mm -hmm. on Wednesday. And Spencer Watkins just coming back from an injury. So, yeah, it's a little bit. Deal Hall is certainly not in that frame of of mind right now, I don't think, for this team. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, but good teams have depth for a reason. The Orioles do have depth. Unfortunately, starting pitching wasn't exactly the, uh, the brightest spot of that. Yeah, and I'm going to actually go back to a tweet that Nick put up on our account over the weekend. At the time, the Orioles were 33 and 18. The record has changed since. Um, but you ended this tweet, Nick, by saying, now go outside, drink, two or three at least. Let the sunshine rush over you. First of all, I feel like I should be reading that in my daily calm voice, and maybe that should be the mantra for our show going forward. Uh, go outside, drink two or three at least. Let the sunshine rush over you. Do you stand That's by that opinion two no days what, later? I yeah, I mean, I I am drink I drink every episode. I'm drinking tonight for other reasons than just to relax. But um, it's like, yeah, like this is still what the second best team in baseball. I don't know what the updated standings look like right now. Rangers won today, so I think it's third technically. Okay, still like this is still the number two, number three team in all of baseball, and it, it is tough. Like Bob talked about. All right, if this was like last year, this team wasn't as competitive, would they let Grayson stick in the major leagues and figure it out? Probably. And that was my first thought was like, just keep him in the major leagues. Let him figure this out. He can get through this. We got all the belief in the world in him. But it's like, no, this team is winning. This team can win this division. It's no longer like, man, next month's going to be a tough test for the Orioles. It's like, no, like we are the test. Other teams have to prove it against the Orioles right now. And I still think that's the case, even with Grayson struggling and Mullen's injury. I still think that's the case. And it it is hard because it's been, I, I don't even know how many years, six, seven, eight. It's been years and years and years of thinking one way. And it, it is tough to you know break that mindset. So, yeah, just drink. And for us enjoy. older folks, it's not even like, you know, 2016. I mean, that was like a five-year blip, 2012 to 2016, and there was like 14 mm-hmm. straight years of losing before that even. So, like, yeah, what, 20 out of the last 25 years have been miserable? So <laughs> I get it, but we got to change that mindset. Completely agree, As even as we move over to this next topic, which is the injury Cedric Mullins sustained in the eighth inning of Monday's game against Cleveland. Now, we don't know the full extent of his injury yet, but it has been reported that he was removed from the game with a right abductor groin strain. What that means for right now is that we can probably expect that Mullins is going to have an IL stint. We don't know exactly how long that's going to last just yet. You hope it's a Ramon Arias type situation where first glance things didn't look great, but he's only out a few weeks. He's able to have a quick rehab assignment in the minor leagues and get back. 
Mullins has been one of the Orioles' most productive hitters this season, and in some ways is putting together a career best year when you look at his walk rate, playing great center field as well to go along with that, hitting at the top of the order consistently for the Orioles. Now, there's also another complication here, which is that if this had happened a couple weeks ago, we would be talking right now about maybe Colton Calder getting that shot because Calder is the everyday center fielder at Norfolk. He leads off. We expect to see him in the major leagues this year anyways. But Calder is actually on the IL right now. We're expecting him back soon. But even if Calder is back in the lineup by Tuesday night, probably not the immediate replacement for Cedric Mullins. So, Bob, I'll start with you in this segment. Just kind of step back for a minute and talk about maybe what Mullins' injury or how long it could last would mean to the Orioles and how you see them solving the center field issue for the time being. It's hard to sugarcoat this one because I feel like outside of Adley Rutschman, Cedric Mullins is like the last guy you want to see go down right now. He's bounced back from last year's quote-unquote disappointing. It was still a, a great year overall for a center fielder, but he was getting closer to that 2021 season where he was and honestly in a lot of ways I feel like he was better this year just from the walk and strikeout rate uh, perspective but it's just tough to see a team leader a guy who plays shutdown defense in center field an important position great offensively between leadoff and a little bit lower sometimes against lefties but yeah if this if Colton Kowser was healthy it'd be like okay at least we have a top prospect who can come up play decent defense, get on base. Maybe he doesn't, you know, start his career off great because not a lot of people do, but at least you'd have a little bit of something to watch other than Ryan McKenna and maybe Taron Vavra run out there in center field every day. But, um, yeah, it hurts, and it doesn't help that the, the injury situation in AAA does not bring much relief either. Yeah, this it's hard to really sit here and, and – talk about the ramifications because we don't know exactly how long he's going to be out obviously right now when we're recording this but I just think if it's a like Bob said there's no sugarcoating this he is he's a almost a two-war player already this season phenomenal numbers a threat on the base paths he's, he's doing it all it's going to be hard to replace that defense out in center field and just his leadership I think it was Ryan McKenna who had a really good quote. I don't remember the exact quote, but basically said, like, this is the guy who's leading us through this charge this year. Um, there is no replacing Cedric Mullins, but I'm going to continue to remain a bit positive here and just say that because I've touched on this in a few other topics that we've done in recent episodes and in some mailback questions that I've gotten, it's, it's, this is the Orioles have the depth here. If it's short term, like hoping just, being positive here and thinking, all right, he's going to be back in a couple of weeks. The Orioles can piecemeal this thing together to stay afloat where, yeah, you're going to see an impact without Mullins in this lineup, but it's not going to be as devastating of a blow as two, three years ago. It would have been to lose one of your top hitters in this lineup. I just think, yeah, you can bring up Joey Ortiz and have Frazier, Vavra work the corner outfield spots. Uh, some, you know, maybe you don't want Austin Hayes out there in center field every day. You don't want McKenna's bat in the lineup every day, but you can piecemeal it together here. I also think, you know, hopefully, you know, I don't know. I don't know Stowers' timeline and how he could play a role in all of this, when he's going to be back or not, but I just think you do have options like Das Cameron is there. He is a much better option than some of the other guys the Orioles have had down in AAA last year. Like Das Cameron is playing. I'm not saying Das Cameron is going to sit here and replace Cedric Mullins. I'm not saying that at all. But if it's a short-term situation, maybe the Orioles want to say, hey, we're not going to bring up Colton Cowser yet because he's just come off an injury. Michael Ash just said he needs more time in AAA anyway. And now he's missed a week or two. You're not going to bring him up instantly. Maybe you give that 40-man spot to Das Cameron and say, look, we're going to have to risk it when we ultimately DFA him in a couple of weeks when Mullins returns. But Cameron can fill that role. He can play defensively a fine defense out there in center field and the bat has been pretty hot down in triple a so I, I just think there are viable options to replace mullins if it's a short term if it's long term we're having a longer conversation i think but short term yeah. i feel a little bit more confident here i feel like there's so many ways this could play out because i think I, I saw someone tweet that grade one is like two to four weeks grade two two to three months grade three could possibly be out for the season let's let's hope it's at least grade two if not grade one but yeah I mean what do you do do you put Jorge Mateo in center field who got 
a little taste of that in spring training? Do they feel comfortable doing that and bring up Ortiz to take over shortstop or Westberg? Or do you, once Kowser gets back and healthy for a week or two, do you bring him up if you think it's going to be a little bit longer? Hudson Haskin will be back in Norfolk, I think, this week because he did a rehab week in Aberdeen. Do you give him a shot? Daz Cameron, like you said, I'm going to look up his stats. He got off to a really bad start, mm-hmm. but he's been really good of late. I'll let uh, let Zach give his opinion, and then I'll come back with the stats <laughs> that I should have had ready. Yeah, I can jump in with some of Cameron's numbers here. He's batting 267 with an 840 OPS through his first 159 plate appearances. And just to give a little bit of background on Cameron, he was once one of the top prospects in baseball, once a consensus top 100 guy, an early pick by the Astros. He was actually part of the trade that netted the Astros, Justin Verlander, in 2017. However, the results have been pretty bad for him offensively in parts of three seasons uh, with the Tigers in the major leagues. So he has not proven that he can hit major league pitching, and he has sort of been more of that AAA bat that you have out there for depth, good speed and defense guy. But the offensive numbers so far have been, take this as a grain of salt, some of the best production he's put up in AAA in his career. Yeah, that's why I, I just think he can give you that option there. And again, you, you wonder, though, would Elias want to risk losing him because you're going to have to DFA him. If, speaking if... Cedric Mullins is only out a couple of weeks and you go to Cameron and, and say, all right, well, we're going to have to DFA you off the 40 man. When he returns, are the Orioles going to be okay losing him? Uh, you got Ben Deluzio down there now. So who knows? Maybe, maybe they are. Ben Deluzio season is where it's at. But um, uh, yeah, like it's, there, there are options and the timing does suck because everyone is hurt right now, but I just, it, it's the depth. The Orioles have built this depth for a reason. And it's why I, I like the idea of just bring Ortiz back up. You have him play the infield. You move these other guys to the outfield. Frazier, you get him, maybe get him a few more bats. I'm fine with that in in the short term. You can fill the void over the next month, I think, and be okay. Yeah, and uh, I got these numbers. Daz Cameron, since April 20th, is batting 317 with a 969 OPS, 11% walk rate, 19% strikeout rate, 250 ISO, 141 WRC+. Plus. Eight doubles, six home runs, seven stolen bases. That's over 104, uh, 122 plate appearances. So, you know, Michael Elias got his original guy back, got him in this development system, and turned him into an all-star. So you're not he's not going to miss a beat. Uh, Cedric Mullins' right-handed version coming up. No. Um, I mean, that is at least encouraging if he needs to come up. But, yeah, I agree with Nick. You kind of just – I feel like there's so many ways they could patchwork this together if it's a short-term thing. But – even if is this the uh, the shot Cal Stowers needed if he gets healthy and comes back up, finally could have a nice run ahead of him. We'll see. I don't know. And Ryan O'Hearn, he plays outfield too, some too, right? So you've got him there as well. Um, we promised Josh Lester you're going to get more uh, <laughs> different position <laughs> availability. Yeah. Let's see. I, I still don't know if if this would force the Orioles to bring up Jordan Westberg. Right now, that would be really interesting to see if they do that because I'm still sticking to the the belief that they want to keep him in AAA where he keeps mashing and they ultimately trade him over the next couple of weeks. And you know, I know Bob's kind of thrown that idea out. Does keeping him off the 40-man in AAA increase that value a little bit more for him? I, I think that could be true. But at the same time, we're, we're sitting here talking about you got to put the best roster out every day to win games. Could Westberg... If Westberg is that better option, then I think you got to make the move right now. So. Yeah, and I was even saying before today's game, before this injury, that I would love to see Westberg come up and take either O'Hearn or Vavra's spot. And I still am a big fan of Vavra and like what he does, but just with the current construction of this roster, with Gunner seeming to sit against tough lefties at least, most lefties, maybe you bring up Westberg and you just play him between third base, second base, and DH against all left-handed starters – and maybe once a week against a righty, you know, it won't be every day at bats, but if you could get him in there, like I said to our, our patrons, if you look at his promotion history, I swear he struggles mightily every single time he's promoted. When he was mashing in Delmarva, he went to Aberdeen, struggled, and then adjusted. Same when he went to Bowie, same when he went to Norfolk. So I'm expecting him to struggle, as everyone does anyway, when he gets to the majors. So why not make it a little bit easier Give him that platoon advantage a couple times a week and and let him ease in that way a little bit. But now that the 
this injury kind of throws a wrinkle into things. So I don't know how you guys think about that. I just pulled up Westberg splits because I did like that idea. Like, that's perfect. This is a way to ease him into this. You get all these guys in the lineup. Don't tell me he struggles against lefties. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lefties, he's only hitting 250 with a 712 OPS. Righties, he's hitting 329 with a 1056 OPS. Um, he's not striking out a ton against lefties, though. So, but yeah, there's definitely uh, some, some varied numbers there between lefties, righties. Hey. So does Ramon Arias, and they keep starting him against lefties too. So I'm That's just thinking true. of Brandon Hyde's wavelength again. My, my gut instinct with Westberg is that this is going to depend on how long Mullins is out. If Mullins is out, I would say any less than a month. I don't think we see Westberg because you've already got Ortiz on the 40-man roster. It would be easier, you know, and, and Nick brings up a valid point. You do risk losing Daz Cameron if you DFA him, and I think you certainly will lose him if he's even, you know, replacement level production at the major leagues. But I still don't know that they would add Westbrook to the 40 man roster for part-time play for a month and then send him back down when they can leave him at AAA, let him get the regular bats. And you already have Joey Ortiz on the 40 man roster. And one thing that I feel like Ortiz, at least from what we have seen so far, I don't feel like he's struggling to catch up on defense at the major league level. So even on nights where he goes 0 for 4, he's probably going to give you a pretty good game at second base for shortstop. Whereas I just don't know. Westbrook's not a defensive, you know, doesn't grade that high defensively or at least as high as Ortiz. So you've got to figure out, okay, what if Westbrook comes up and goes two for his first 20? What is that going to do to your lineup? It's true. And that's why... Like Red said uh, on YouTube, if if Mateo could play the position, that would be almost perfect because you could bring Ortiz up to play shortstop next to Gunner. You move Mateo to center field where you don't have to have two blank holes in your lineup right now. At least I'm just talking about how bad Mateo has been in May um, at shortstop and center field between McKenna and Mateo. So if he could kind of kill two birds with one stone at least temporarily but until Kowser's ready that would be nice I'm just not sure if he's capable of it I don't know I've, I've seen a lot of people that have the the ultimate right solution here on Twitter uh it's it's bring up Heston Kerstad it's Heston Kerstad time it completely solves the whole situation guys yeah we do need a rhyme out because <laughs> replacement so that makes sense <laughs> oh man I can only imagine how that would go after the first week why is Kurosad not in center field? Why do you go one for 10 in two games? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, we're joking now until tomorrow we find out Cedric Mullins is done for the year. Uh, and then, then we're not, uh, we're not laughing as much, but if it is, if it is a longer situation though, like then what do you do? I mean, do, do you go out and trade for somebody? Uh, you know, we, got a lot of questions i know recently about you know it's pitching 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 who are you trading for who are the targets and now i think more questions are kind of creeping in like well do the orioles buy the bat instead because the pitching is iffy like we don't really know who the sellers are going to be right now and some of the big targets are eh, I, don't, I don't know do you really want to go get shane bieber i don't know instead look, do you continue to bolster the lineup well, now if mullins is out for the year do you see this team get more aggressive in trading for an outfielder I could see that situation play out as well. But. I could see it. I'm just not sure who's available. Yeah, but, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of think that Gunnar Henderson's going to be that big bat addition, middle of the order guy. I just think he's going to get better and better as the year goes on. So I don't think that's going to be quite as evident as as we go on this season. And Mountcastle's not going to have a OPS right around 700 all year. I don't know. I, I don't think the bat is as important because I feel like one through nine is at least an average major league hitter on the team. So sure. You don't have like a, a Paul Goldschmidt, you know, certified three, four hitter. Who's just going to do ton of damage guaranteed. But I don't think the offense is as big of an issue as a lot of people seem to. Yeah. We're slumping right now, but I think we're still like top seven to 12 in most categories offensively in the majors. So I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm thinking back to the last Major League mailbag I did. It was just a couple of weeks ago. I actually got a question about that, whether or not the Orioles might pursue something other than pitching depth at the deadline. And I brought up the idea then that maybe they go out and get kind of a defensive-minded corner outfielder who could play left field at Camden Yards and allow them to move Hayes over to right. 
at least on a part-time basis. And the name that I brought up then was Ramon Laureano. Now, I don't think Laureano solves a lot of issues if you're going to be – if you're looking at Mullins out for the year. He doesn't replace Mullins. But he could still be that guy that, you know, if you need to take it a little slow with Mullins down the stretch just to make sure that he stays healthy, he could probably play center field one or two nights a week. Or he could play left field so someone else can play center. So that's a name that comes to mind for me. Plus, I think he has a year or two of control after this year. So you would have the flexibility if he does well for you to either keep him around or see if you can flip him in the offseason for something. And he's probably not going to cost you a whole lot. You're probably not going to give up a big prospect to get somebody like that from the A's. Yeah, especially the way they uh, make their trades. But, um, yeah, I I don't hate that idea at all, Uh, especially because when Mullins is back and everyone's healthy, that's a much more potent Ryan McKenna right there who could probably get in a little more often than McKenna does right now. But, um, yeah, I think I don't think that's a bad idea at all. Yeah, and you know, at least as well, if we're thinking long-term here, it's early enough to where you know, maybe you just do bring up Colton Kowser as well and roll with Kowser, and you don't even have to make the trade. You can trade the assets that you're going to trade this year for pitching, and you can roll with Kowser. I mean, he's – I know Michael Elias has said uh, he needs more time in AAA, but – I mean, the guy's hitting 331 with an OPS over 1,000, on-base percentage of 469 in 37 games this year for the Tides. I mean, 40 strikeouts to 35 walks. Yeah, there might be a – that strikeout issue might be – strike issue, quote-unquote issue. Uh, it, the strikeouts will probably be more – they will be more prevalent if you bring him up in the next couple of weeks to the major leagues. But I think his eye, that on-base percentage – all of that's going to translate to the major leagues. I have full confidence in Calder that working out for Calder. So yeah, maybe he's not hitting for a high average at the beginning, but he can play a good center field. We've seen, I feel like he's made more highlight real plays this year than he has the last couple of years combined. He's really stepping up in that real cavern center field out at, uh, down in Harbor park. I feel a lot more confident in him playing center field at Camden yards now or anywhere in the major leagues right now, after watching him more closely this year, the eye is going to be there. He's going to get on base and you can ease him into this. And so I, even if it is still long-term, I still feel confident in cows are coming up too. So yeah, options. I agree. And if he can fill in for Mullins, whether it's in two weeks, a month, whatever, if he can fill in for Mullins in center until he gets back. And then if Mullins can please get healthy and man center field, cows can easily patrol the new left field. And I don't know about easily. It's a little, different but i think he'll be good out there he's got the arm he's got the the range and the reads and then you move austin hayes in his cannon for an arm in right field where he doesn't have to cover as much ground i think that's pretty much as good of a outfield defense situation that the orioles will get at this time yeah i i want to see how calder looks when he comes off the il i do think there's a danger in promoting a player too quickly uh regardless of how well they were producing before or how you know bad or whatever the extent of the injury is. I do think there's a danger in putting him up in the majors too soon before he has a chance to get his timing back to play in AAA. But yeah, after a few weeks, I could absolutely see that as a possibility. And with hitters, I talked a few weeks ago about how I always expect that when a pitcher comes up from AAA, their walk numbers in the major leagues are probably going to be worse, at least for the first few starts, if not for the whole year. I kind of have the same expectations for hitters. Strikeout numbers are probably going to go up. Walk numbers are probably going to go down. Calder's strikeout rate, I think really other than when he got to Bowie last year, has generally been high when he's first gotten to a level and then gone down and then it's neutralized. So that would happen in the major leagues eventually. And to your point, Nick, this is someone who consistently gets on base 35 to 40% of the time. And I, I don't see that skill going away when he gets to the major leagues. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, when he got to AAA last year, he struck out 30.6% of the time, walked 10.5% of the time. And this year it's down to 22.3% strikeout rate and 19.6% walk rate. So, yeah, even if he comes up and just walks 10%, strikes out 30%, between the defense, the patience, and he'll pop one out. He'll pop a few out. And Reds, again, pretty good comment. That's pretty much what Gunner's giving you right now but just the outfield version. I think we would take that at this point, and then obviously, hopefully, he improves from there. 
Yeah, and that's that's the thing too. Like we were bringing in these guys with pretty high floors. I think Kowser's floor is already pretty high to where his ceiling is. He gets better and better throughout the season as he gets more comfortable. Then you know that that sting of losing Mullins is lessened just a little bit. It's not going to completely go away because, like I said, you're not going to replace Cedric Mullins with with anyone in this organization this year. Um, but yeah, I mean there are internal options. There are a couple internal options right now, whether it's short term or long term, uh, and then. Like I said, you just move towards trading. I mean, you can trade for a piece. You can literally trade for whoever you want in this game. You have the assets to do that. Even if this is an unexpected trade where you weren't expecting to trade for a bat this year, maybe this team was just focused on getting pitching help at the deadline. Uh, you know, that's okay. If you have to trade a few more prospects this year to get a few additional bats or something at the major league level, they'll recuperate. There's enough depth down there. The draft is coming up. This team was very good at drafting. There's another international signing period coming. Like this, these guys will be, you know, the pipeline will be replenished very quickly. So this is why you build that depth. And we've seen they're not likely to rush these guys up, especially when they're succeeding at the major league level. So I don't think you can expect just five or six prospects to debut all at the same time or in the same season. And yeah, I mean, they're a little more patient and and smart than us fans who just want to see the young hotness up and, uh, competing every day completely agree and with that we're going to go into our final segment of the show where we shout out a player outside of our top 30 for something they've done whether it's a good game a good week or something interesting in their stat line and i'm going to start with bob because not only does he have a hitter to shout out this week but he's going with two pitchers rather than one. Oh, you can do that yeah um, we make the rules okay no um my hitter is isaac bellany or baloney excuse me um, who was struggling struggling mightily at high A Aberdeen, batting 159 with a 496 OPS on the season. And then when Norfolk had all those injuries, he got like up there for a game or two, only got one plate appearance and, and walked. So he's got a 1,000% triple-A on-base percentage. But then instead of going all the way back down to high A, he went to double-A Bowie to help out there. And while that's probably not the best um, news as far as his longevity in the system, at least so far, he's four for 11 with an RBI and a walk in double A. So I just wanted to shout out him getting that opportunity and, and making the most of it so far. And then pitcher wise, yeah, I did want to shout two guys out because there's so much quality pitching depth right now in this organization, top to bottom. And Alfred Vega, who was a minor league rule five pick, who at least I was hyped about. Um, and I know Vivek and some other patrons were too. Did not get off to the best start. In fact, it looked dreadful. And I just wanted to say that uh, he's got three straight scoreless appearances. Four out of his last five appearances have been scoreless. His last 12 innings, zero runs allowed. Only six strikeouts, but no walks. So maybe he's getting it together. And then we talk about Keegan Gillis a lot when it comes to Aberdeen Ironbead. Ironbird relief pitchers. Dylan Hyde. Another guy who's 25 years old in high A right now, six foot one, good strikeout pitcher. He deserves some some love as well. He has a 4.09 ERA, but a 1.60 FIP and 2.25 xFIP. He has struck out 23 batters in just 11 innings, with seven walks. That's 18.82 strikeouts per nine. If you think that's not sustainable, well, he struck out 19.06 last year in high A in his uh, brief taste there. So that's like Felix Bautista levels. So between him and Gillis, Aberdeen relievers are doing pretty well. Like all those guys, especially good to see Vega. Cause yeah, I was thinking he's going to be out of the organization by <laughs> June 1st, uh, but instead he's rolling now. Um, I'm going with another old guy in Norfolk uh, this week for my bats. Uh, Joseph Rosa. Uh, some people, if you're still listening at this point in the show, you probably never heard of him up to this point. Uh, because he was just signed last week by the Orioles. He's 26, uh, so he's not actually old. But uh, signed last week, you know, the Orioles added with that Glenn Denning guy. Uh, they traded for him. They signing Ben Deluzio, the outfielder, and then Joseph Rosa because, again, all the injuries just piling up in the minor leagues as well. But Rosa hadn't played an affiliated ball since 2021 with the Mariners, I believe it was. And then he was never a power hitter his entire career. Goes to the Atlantic League, hits 21 home runs. And he's playing in Mexico this year, gets signed by the Orioles, plays in five games with AAA Norfolk this week, last week, and hit 381 
five of his hits, eight hits were doubles, even OPS thousand on the week. Uh, so yeah, I just thought it was awesome to see somebody who probably thought his chances with a major league affiliate were probably done. And he gets a huge week in AAA and maybe uh, shows other teams that he can still cut it and maybe gets an opportunity elsewhere when the Orioles uh, probably eventually cut him. But uh, my pitcher, I went, I don't know if I went with Kyle Verbitsky last week or not, uh, or if someone else did. If we did, we missed him because Kyle Verbitsky is, is hot now. I think all three of us agreed. We probably did highlight him, but uh, I'm going to do it again. Uh, I think all three of us kind of agreed that we expected Verbitsky. Again, if you don't remember, he was the second piece in the Cole Irvin trade for Dale Hernandez with Oakland. But kind of expecting he goes to high A and kind of dominate for a couple of weeks and then be like, all right, why is he still pitching in high A? Get promoted to double A where we can really see what he's like. But like Alfred Vega down in Delmarva, Verbitsky was getting lit up uh, in Aberdeen. But now he walked, uh, or his last outing last week, four innings, four shutout innings, four strikeouts, one walk. And his outing before that was four shutout innings, no walks, six strikeouts. So shout out to Kyle Verbitsky, and hopefully this is the start of a good run for him. Yeah, funny story about Joseph Rosa. I was traveling a lot this week, as weekend, as I'm sure a lot of people were. But I get the alerts from the MILB app on my phone, and I'm like, I see, I don't know, Connor Norby, home run or double run scores, alert like two seconds later joseph rosa i was like oh inning must have changed already okay that's weird and then the next thing i know jordan westberg rbi double i'm like what is who's joseph rosa and then that's when i figured out i went to our twitter shout out to our twitter nick and uh and was like oh we signed this guy okay cool he's contributing right away love it good choices all around i'm gonna go on a similar theme with the pitcher my guy is Peter Van Loon. Van Loon has gotten off to a slow start overall at Bowie, but last week at Akron put together what has by far been his best outing in the season. Four shutout innings, just one hit, struck out six, and walked two. Van Loon so far this year has uncharacteristically struggled, and part of the problem for him has been that his ground ball rate is way down from previous levels, down to 26.5% after a 41.3% clip last year. And most of that has gone towards a higher line drive rate. He's also walked almost six batters per nine innings this year, yet he struck out nearly 13 batters per nine and has a 3.84 XFIP compared to his 5.79 ERA. So perhaps some encouraging underlying numbers so that Van Loon eventually is going to get back to a more productive pace at Billy. And hopefully last week is what sets the course for that. And then for my hitter, I'm going to shout out Angel Tejada, who had an excellent series for Delmarva against Lindsberg. In six games, he went 5-15 for 15 with a home run, five RBIs, three walks to three strikeouts. For those that don't know, Tejada is a 19-year-old infielder that the Orioles signed out of the Dominican Republic back in 2021. He was at the FCL last year and batted 281 with a 786. OPS in 30 games. Now, so far this year at Delmarva, he's off to a little bit slower start, still hitting this 217 with a 671 OPS through his first 20 games to the Shorebirds, but certainly had a great week last week. A young guy. Hopefully, this is a springboard for him to have success at the plate this season. Like it. I want to shout out one more guy to close before we close out. Uh, That's he not is <laughs> well. He's also definitely on our top thirty list. Uh, he was very high on our top thirty list. But uh, Kobe Mayo is having the breakout that uh, we kind of said or were hoping that he was going to have this year. And I know we didn't talk about him this week, but this guy now he's still twenty one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah till December. That's right. Yeah. December baby. Uh, shout out December babies. Um, still 21 years old in double a, he is hitting 272 with a 390 on base percentage and a 146 WRC plus he has a 13.7% walk rate. It was nine and a half percent in high last year and 8% in double a last year. Strikeout rates only 25%. Um, he is mashing. I don't think he hit a ball under like 115 miles an hour last week. That's an exaggeration, but, uh, those home runs he's hitting now, are literal moonshots out to left field. Um, shout out to Kobe Mbeo because I think, and he's now he's a top 100 prospect on MLB Pipeline. Yeah, the breakout's here for uh, for Kobe Mbeo, and I think the noise around him is going to get a lot louder over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I completely agree. It's going very under 
appreciated what he's mm-hmm. what he's doing right now in Double A, yeah. just because his age, and I guess because he's playing with Heston Kerstad, which is a huge story of its own. And Cesar Prieto was like one of the hottest hitters in baseball for a two or three week stretch, and the team's losing so much. I guess it's hard to really, you know, make too much noise about it, but we should be. He's uh, he's hitting more home runs now. He's got a ton of doubles. The walks are, are really what is the most impressive to me because that's when the heat started coming up with Gunner. Was like, oh, the walk rate. Oh, it's no, you know, the swing decisions. Okay, you get the walk rate up. You're swinging at better pitches. When you do make contact, it's going to go way more damage. Just like even Austin Hayes. That's what you're. That's why Austin Hayes is having such a good year. I saw something that he's just swinging at less bad pitches, and so when he does, he's even swinging and missing more this year. But just because he's swinging at more pitches that are better for him to hit when he makes contact, you do more damage. So yeah, Kobe Mayo, shout out. Uh, and spoiler alert, he's he's creeping up closer to the top of our top 30 list for sure. Absolutely. He has, I think, done everything you could ask of him and more so far this year. And speaking of Kobe Mayo, we got a little bonus coming up in a few minutes here for our patrons. We're going to have our countdown of our top 50 prospects for the month of June. If you're a patron, you'll be able to listen to that or watch that shortly. And if you haven't signed up yet, go ahead and sign up now. Take advantage of your seven-day free trial. Get in for this bonus episode. We're going to spend about 25, 30 minutes looking at our top 50, talking about some of these changes. So you have that to look forward to. If you missed that, we will be back on the air next week at our regular time. Hopefully, it was a lot of good news to talk about. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, at BSL and the Birds. And also head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com where you can check out the latest coverage on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. And while you're there, be sure to hop on the message board and join and discuss them with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors to BSL. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Sweden. You've been listening to On The Verge. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more.